This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash KD. Om Namas Chandikai 
Chanti Mangala Kali Padrakali Apalini Durgakshama Shiva Dhatri Swaha Swadha Namostute Narayani Namostute Narayani Namostute Of 
over us that we're, we're really allowed to come home, that we really can come back to that place inside of us that is love, that is home. It's just so powerful because we're gone so much, so much of the time we're lost in our stuff. And adding a practice to our life is what allows us, what creates the, the openness to return home. The sound of the name is the name of our own true nature. The love that lives within us is who we truly are. It's the name of that love which lives in each of us. Always, all the time. Life after life after life, it's the same. 
Okay. So let's see if the questions work. <laughs> yes. Unbelievable. I want to thank my Nina, Serena, Anna, and uh, week after week, day after day, putting up with me, first of all, and second of all, making it possible for us to get together like this. And of course, today here at IYI. There you see Swami Shivananda, the guru of this lineage, and behind me, unfortunately. He doesn't want to be seen right now. Swami Satchitananda. And Maharaji loved Swami Shivananda very, very much. They were very close. They visited often. They knew each other very well. He came, Maharaji showed up at Shivananda Ashram in uh, Rishikesh quite often, apparently. And um, it was Maharaji who... Uh, you can't really say forced, but encouraged very strongly Swami Chitananda to accept the leadership of the Divine Life Society after Swami Shivananda left. Uh, Maharaji loved Swami Chitananda very much. And in fact, a funny story is that uh, one time, maybe in 68, could have been 69, I'm not sure. Swami Satchitananda was giving a retreat at Ananda Ashram in Monroe, New York. And I had heard Swami Satchitananda speak a few times in the city, so I went up for the day. And so uh, we were sitting out on the lawn and uh, next to Swami Satchitananda was this, another uh, sannyasi, another baba, uh, you know, very gaunt. And to me, he looked very fierce at the time. And he, he was just sitting there like this. And Swami Satchitananda gave the talk. And, you know, after his talks, or in the beginning, he would always go, Om in his beautiful voice, right? So he finished the talk, and I, I had my eyes closed. And I was waiting for the Hari Om, right? And instead of the Hari Om, there was, Shri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, Shri Ram, like this. And my whole body exploded. Every nerve went into overdrive. And I was just sitting there like, like this, you know? I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know who this guy was. I, I had heard Shiram Jairam before. I think I had met Ramdas maybe once or something by now. Maybe not. And then I left. And I never knew who that Swami was. And, uh, but that moment did something. Okay, so one, two, three, maybe four years later, three years later, not sure. Three. I am living 
at the temple in Kenshi with Maharaji in India. And one day, a car pulls up, and a group of swamis came out of the car like, <laughs> like bowling balls into the temple, over the bridge, right into Maharaji's room. And I, you know, I was standing outside. I, no- I noticed this, and you know, and then all of a sudden, what did I hear? Sri Ram Ram the same Sri Ram. I went, what? It was Swami Chittananda who came with some Swamis from Rishikesh. They were on tour. And apparently, he knew Maharaji very well. He used to come quite often to see him. And Maharaji would always ask him to sing. And actually, Swami Chittananda has written about this particular day. There was some miracle about the number of oranges there that day. And the Swamis brought like five oranges or something like that and put them on the table in a little bowl for Maharaji on his tucket. And there were like 20 people in the room, and Maharaji started throwing the oranges to people, and everybody got an orange. And Swami Chittananda wrote about that. But the thing that got me, what I realized later, okay, Swami Chittananda had sung that Sri Ram Jai Ram to Maharaji before I met Swami Chittananda that first time at Monroe. So... Sri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram was Maharaji's joy. His, the name of Ram is what he always repeated. Sri Ram Jai Ram was very dear to his heart. So that connection, it was a transmission almost of also Maharaji at the time. And here's another little story about how much also Maharaji loved Swami Shivananda. One point... Uh, one of, the, one of the very, very original old swamis was Swami Shivananda, one of his original disciples. I don't remember. could have been Swami Krishnananda. It might have been Swami Nirmalananda. I can't remember which one. He was off. He, went, he left Rishikesh to do pilgrimage in the Himalayas. And on his way up to the, deep, the deeper Himalayas, he stopped at Kenchi. And... He went to see Maharaji. He had met him before. And Maharaji looked at him and he said, Your guru is sporting like Krishna. But how long can this last? Go right back to Rishikesh now. He told him to go back to, to the ashram. And Swami, that Swami, Nirmalananda or Swami Krishna, I'm not sure, he kind of, didn't really take it to heart, you know. Oh, yeah, okay, maybe after. But he went back down to get his supplies to go up to the high Himalayas. And when he was at that house where he left them in Haldwani, that's when he heard that Swami Shivananda had fallen ill. So he finally rushed back to the ashram. And as a result, he was able to see his guru before he left the body. But the way Maharaji said it, your guru is sporting like Krishna, playing like Krishna now. But how long can this last? You know, because it, they say there's a state there's a state of consciousness that only uh, Shiva 
and Krishna can be in without having to leave the body. Only those two beings can hold the intensity of that state of, of whatever. Believe me, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you about it. And so they say anybody who enters into that state, if they stay in that state too long, the body drops. And apparently Maharaji knew that it was time for Shami Shivananda to go, so he entered into that state and the body finally dropped off. These guys, this is the major leagues. <laughs> this is the big time stuff, you know. We're still uh, in a uh, little league here. All right, some questions. Can you speak about surrender? I'm a first responder and I see all that stuff. I want to stay steady, so surrender. Surrender is not an act of will, of our will. Surrender comes from grace. We aspire to drop the ego and drop our identification with that. But, like Ramana Maharshi says, if you ask the mind or the ego to kill the ego or the mind, it's like asking the thief to be the policeman. There'll be a lot of investigation, but no arrest will ever be made. So asking yourself, saying to yourself, I'm going to surrender, this is not going to happen, because the I does not want to surrender, the me. It likes to act like it will, but this is just its way of staying alive longer. So that's why practice is so important. And practice doesn't mean, you know, when you're sitting cross-legged on a pillow pretending to meditate. Practice means, first of all, being present with everyone as best we can that we meet and bearing witness to their suffering and thus suffering, our own and theirs. And bearing witness means to be with, with it without projecting your own stuff onto it. Oh, I'm so sad, this is so terrible. We don't know. We don't know why things happen, we don't know why they don't happen. All we know is what we feel in the moment. So to bear witness is a big thing. And of course, Bernie Glassman, the great Zen master, and my very dearest friend, uh, used to speak of this quite often. In fact, this was his, one of his main teachings, was to bear witness to the joy and the suffering. Because beings suffer, and when we bear witness, we are with them. And that lessens their isolation, that lessens, takes some of the sting away of the pain. We can't take their pain away, but we can be with them. So... The asp aspiration to surrender, is that's good. But don't think that you can do it. When the mirror of the heart is clean of our greed, our shame, our selfishness, our, all our stuff, 
when the mirror of the heart is clean of that dust, then the reflection is true and accurate. And at that moment, surrender happens. We may get little hits on the way, of course, of what it might feel like to be less deluded. But surrender is the goal. And the path of devotion is the path of remembering over and over again to remembering thy will, not my will. And that's hard, because when we see people suffer, especially for us, the people who are closer to us, it hurts. And we want that suffering to be taken away. But if we look at that, we want them not to hurt so in a way, so we won't hurt so much by seeing it. So there's a selfishness involved in that. And, and not, we can't accept things the way they are. We want to change them so we don't hurt. Now that's a motive that is actually not truly useful. It's a perversion of real compassion. With real, true compassion, bodhicitta, we are not thinking about ourselves at all, but for most of us, what we call compassion is, oh, I wish you weren't suffering so much so it wouldn't be so hard for me to be with you. That's selfish. So you have to see that stuff and let go and let go and let go and let go. And then, because, yes, that's what we have to do. <laughs> How long does one need to chant before he can see God? How the hell do I know? I'll let you know, you know, it's what time is it, you know? Come on, give me a break here. Maharaj used to say, go on, sing your fake lying Ram Ram. Go on, keep doing. One of these days, the real Ram will show up and boom, that's it. But until that time, keep faking it because you have to. You have to. If we truly said the name, repeated the name fully with full devotion, 100% awareness and concentration and paying attention, boom, we'd see, we'd experience what and who Ram is, but we're lying. We're faking it because we can't do that. But through practice and training the mind, training ourselves to keep coming back to the sound of the name and letting go of whatever we're lost in again and again and again and again, should I go on? There's not enough time to go on in the universe again and again and again, little by little, we, we stay home for longer and we don't go so far away. And sooner or later, the real Ram comes. And Maharaj said, go on doing this practice. Even when you don't feel spiritual, even when you're tired, even when you're angry, even when you're sad, even when you're grieving, everything, go on. Because if you don't, then what? One has to plant those seeds of remembering. If one, if one does not plant seeds, nothing will grow. So.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P.com slash be here now. Do you have any advice for overcoming shame for past negative actions towards ourselves slash others from many years ago? (sighs) Well, shame is a trip we're doing to ourselves. Forget about whether we've actually hurt somebody or not. The feeling of shame, that's different than remorse, by the way. Remorse is truly being, recognizing that we've hurt someone, wishing that we had not created that suffering, and hoping that we don't create it again, and and not just hoping, but doing what's necessary that we don't create more suffering again for others and ourselves. But shame is, that's a different thing. Remorse is useful, remorse of spirit. That leads to, uh, in Christianity, they talk about confession. That's ultimately what confession is supposed to be. Giving up the feelings uh, that, uh, of shame and, and stuff like that and starting again. It doesn't, you can't forget what you've done, but what you have done in the past can stop bullying you, bullying you in this moment if we truly have remorse. You know, uh, I was at a teaching once with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. It was a three-day teaching about bodhicitta, which is compassion and kindness, caring for others, and oneself, of course. Day after day, he talked about this. And the last session, he took questions from the audience. And um, questions were written on a paper and sent in, and the translator picked, picked a question and read it. So one question said, your, your, your Holiness, I hurt somebody once, and I apologized, uh, and they would not accept the apology. Year after year, I've apologized for three years, but they won't accept the apology. What should I do? So His Holiness said, You keep apologizing one year, two years, three years, four years. They don't accept the apology. Tell them to go to hell. I I was shocked because the, the Dalai Lama was talking Tibetan. This was through a translator. And I thought, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, does not tell someone to go to hell because 
If he does, they will. And that's not what he usually does. So Bob Thurman was there, my friend Bob, who speaks perfect Tibetan and also very close to his holiness. I said, I called him over there, Bob, what did he really say? Dalai Lama said, one year, two years, three years, you keep apologizing. Four years come, they don't accept, tell them to eat shit. That's what he said. Because in Tibet, they're very spiritual country they would not say go to hell but the way they say what we say go to hell is eat shit but the translator knowing what americans think didn't say eat shit he said go to hell <laughs> anyway that's the idea you do what you can um if someone doesn't want to accept the apology what can you do as long as you're sincere and you understand what you've done and you wish you hadn't done it and you're sorry you did it it isn't about whether somebody accepts that apology or not. That's up to them. That's their trip. They can choose to hang on to the anger or not. That's, there's nothing you can do about that. So the, you have to, one has to be honor one's own heart and work with one own, one's own stuff. One can't do anything for somebody else that way. How do I deal with aging? Is it a challenge? No, I lost. <laughs> Even when you're on the path, seeing your youth and beauty fading away slowly. We are not this body, I know, but we deal with it. Yeah, I'm this body. I don't know about you. And this body's... I'm in an ashram here. I won't use my usual words. <laughs> I screwed up. Shit just stops working. You wake up morning and something that's worked your whole life, and all of a sudden, don't work. And it didn't ask you if it was okay to take the rest of your life off. It just stops working. You don't get a vote. That's aging. And, you know, however, this body is what we have right now. This body is what we're living in. In this body, we are doing practice. In this body, we are trying to find truth and love and God and whatever. So... We have to take care of this body as best we can. There's no guarantees on how long this body's going to last. But while we're here, this is the car we're driving in. You don't drive a car with flat tires. You put on new tires, if possible. Yeah, you pull out your gallbladder if it's screwing you up. And you, 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 know, you put, on the best, put the best gas in that you can, and you try to get where you're going. All we can do is the best we can do. So... You just do your best to take care of yourself so that you can do the practice that's going to bring you to freedom. And it just happens, you know. Ramdas, being with Ramdas the last, you know, Ramdas and I were together for 50 years. But the last 19, 20 years after the stroke were very, very powerful. He had a catastrophic stroke, and he was in a wheel wheelchair. His left side, his right side was paralyzed. He was a lefty. And uh, he had diabetes problems, neuropathy. He had so, many, so much going on, I'm not even going to go into it. But he, and, and he couldn't do anything for himself. He had, everything had to be done for him. 
Uh, by the, the last few years, he couldn't even turn himself in bed because his, he had uh, torn rotator cuffs in it from falling. And he couldn't turn himself, so someone had to turn him. But he overcame pride. He overcame anger. He overcame all these things that, that, and he had to accept help from others. And he really uh, conquered pride. This is a huge thing. A huge thing. And it was so beautiful to watch how he had to accepted help from others. Uh, he, they wrote a book once uh, early on called How Can I Help? And he used to say, if I wrote that book now, I would write, How Can You Help Me? So he always had a sense of humor, and he always kept that, even in the, the, the most intense situations. He went through so much pain and suffering, and he never complained, almost never. It was amazing to be around. If I stub my toe in the morning, the, next, the rest of the day is completely ruined. So i got a long way to go. How to let the chant enter the heart? Well, first of all, let's not pretend that we really know what the heart is. Okay, We might have some concept in our minds about what that heart is, but we don't really know. So what we do know is that through the repetition of the name, gradually but inevitably, that presence within us, that heart, that essence within us is uncovered. We are not, we can't really see it right now, clearly. It's always with us. It's actually who we are. But right now, our awareness is, is totally involved with the sense input and the thoughts. Going, receiving information from what we say is the outside. So we are not tuned in and aware of the heart, so to speak, in a deep way. So it's through the repetition of the name that this happens. That's, I mean, and of course other practices, but this we're talking about this. You simply repeat the name, and when you notice that you have not been paying attention, you come back. Actually, you're repeating the name, and then you're thinking about something. You're dreaming about something. And then, oh, you realize that you haven't been paying attention. How did that moment happen? You were dreaming. You were gone. Or you were remembering something. Or you were planning something. And you're sitting with a thousand people chanting, and you're chanting, but you're not even there. How did that moment happen that you, oh, I don't know. That's grace. That is your heart pulling you back. You didn't make that happen. You didn't wake yourself up when you were gone, when you were dreaming, when you were thinking about the girl next to you, or you're thinking about getting home to the old lady, or thinking about going smoking a cigarette afterwards, or going to a movie later that day. You were not here. You were lost dreaming that stuff. How did it happen that you recognized that? 
and all of a sudden you were back. Your heart woke you up. Your true nature is awake all the time. And the more we come home to the sound of the name, the name is the name of that place. So we're constantly evoking and invoking that presence. And then we're pulled away again. And then, oh, okay. It wasn't your personal will that brought you back from dreamland. It was the seeds you planted in your heart, in your being, through the repetition of the name that brought you back. Not, because when you're asleep, even at night, when you sleep, how can you, you don't wake yourself up. You set an alarm. Your heart is that alarm that's always going off, but we don't hear it. More and more, the more practice we do, the more we get comfortable letting go and getting at ease with what that sense of letting go means. That's, that's, that's when we hear that, that alarm, which is actually not one of those, eh. it's like, hi, honey. Hi, sweetie pie. Welcome back. Mm, good. Love you. Okay, here. Have a banana. Okay. Is this my first time out of New York? You betcha. 53 weeks at home, except one week, doing uh, the audio book. It's a trip, I'll tell you. I, I can't wait to get back home to close the door. Can't understand that question. Hello. If faced with a significant decision or choice, but it does not seem clear which way to go, do you, me, have a foolproof discernment process? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do what I want. I do what I want to do. Sometimes it's hard to know what you want to do because you want to do 40 different things. But Maharaji's last instruction to me when, I was, when he was sending me back to America after two and a half years in India with him, I said, Baba, what should I do in America? I mean, I've been wandering around India in a red dress and barefoot, stepping in cow poop, very happy. And now I was going back to New York. I didn't think that was going to fly in the city. I said, how can I, what, what, what am I going to do there? What am I going to do? He said, do what you want. Nobody in my life ever told me that. Certainly not the way he meant it. Do what you want. So, that put the onus on me to find out what I wanted. And I fought with terrible, negative, destructive stuff inside of me that wouldn't even let me do what I really wanted to do, which was to sing to him. I had a lot of really heavy negative stuff that was just pushing me around for years and years and years. And in fact, I did not start singing to him 
this way until 21 years had passed after he left the body. 21 years. Am I stubborn? What do you think? Yeah, I was not a happy camper. And I, I had to find what I wanted. And it, because when you do something that you want to do, not because you're told to do it. He never, he didn't tell people what to do except go away, of course. You had to find your own thing, your own way. You had to find it yourself. And then you have, it's so, so, so much more powerful because you have done, you have listened to your heart and you've done what you felt you should do and want to do. If it works out, there's nobody to, that's good. If it doesn't work out, there's nobody to blame. You can't be a victim. It's your own stuff. So for me to get to the point where I could actually sit down and sing with people, it took me 21 years. But I'm very grateful that I finally managed to do it. And every day, every time I sing, it brings me home, brings me back. It puts things into perspective. It, it's practice every time. It's different every time. Just hearing the name, repeating the name, not thinking about it, not, not anything. Well, this was really good. Oh, this was really bad. The name doesn't care. And our job is to listen and hear the sound of the name. And, in this case, sing it. Okay, just a couple, one more, maybe one. I've lost all interest. I've lost interest in all the things I used to love. All I want to do is sit, listen to satsang, or walk in nature. I have to force myself to do all the worldly things. I'm scared of what this means. What does this mean, and what do I do? Well, uh, why do you think I know? However, since you asked, You think practice is one thing that it isn't. The practice is what gives us the strength to treat other people the way we want to be treated. You don't have to hide yourself from the world in order to do that. And in fact, the so-called world is very happy to show you how much work you have to do in order to become a good human being. What you're talking about is you're attached to what you think you should be feeling and not feeling uh, be, uh, from so-called spiritual life. You think it's all going to be blissful. Well, let me tell you, good luck. It isn't. Everything in your life is your karma. There's nowhere you're going to go where the stuff is not going to be. 
So you're making a dichotomy between what's holy and what's not holy. And it's your evaluative mind that's screwing everything up for you. So if you were meant to be in a cave, you'd already be there. So calm yourself down. Stop judging other people. Stop judging the so-called world. There is no world out there. There's only what you see. And your subjectivity is creating this problem for you. Nothing else. So you want to go away? Run away. It won't work. Maybe it will. Maybe I, you know, I don't know. It's up to you to figure out what to do. I'm just sharing uh, my experiences. Because I, I thought I would be a monk living in India for the rest of my life. Here I am. <laughs> not in India and not a monk. So we have all kinds of ideas about what we think we need to be in order to be something holy or good or something. It's not like that. So just calm down and listen very deeply to yourself and then you know, follow your heart. See where it takes you. That's how you learn. Those 21 years I spent in, uh, in inner darkness taught me a lot, believe me. It taught me a tremendous amount. And uh, do I regret it? Well, if it was 20 years, that would have been better instead of 21. <laughs> but it was what it was. So nothing to do about it now. So I think that's it. Um, we'll end with the Hanuman Chalisa. And uh, so since we're talking about this, uh, this kind of uh, developing, bearing witness and developing compassion for others, because all we do is think about ourselves all the time. We realize... Every day, all day, every day. The movie of me. How am I doing? Where am I going? Am I the right things? Should I go this? Should I do this or this? Or is my hair too long, too short? Am I too fat? Am I too tall? Will they like me? They won't like me. What if I do this? All we do is think about ourselves. So thinking about others once in a while would be like a vacation. And in fact, when we asked Maharaji, how do we find God? He said, serve others serve others. It was too deep a, pre- a, a teaching for us to, to, to appreciate at the time. It was too subtle. We wanted to be told, okay, just sit like this, look at your forehead, hold your breath, sit straight, all that. That's what we want. We want to be done. Okay, what do I do? What do I do? But he told us. But we, we didn't get it. Most of us. Interesting, huh? So, uh, talking about bearing witness to suffering, our own and others.
And this was one of Bernie Glassman's huge uh, experiences and teaching and major in his life. He always talked about bearing witness. And he started a group called the Zen Peacemakers Organization, zenpeacemaker.org, peacemakers.org. And they go all around the world to places where there's very difficult social and political situations, and they try to get people to speak to each other and to start a dialogue going. And also, they go to bear witness to the suffering. Anyway, uh, it's late, so I can't talk too much about it. But Bernie sent me eight lines to a prayer that was part of his lineage, his Zen lineage. And it was to a prayer called the Kanron Mon, which is the gates of sweet nectar. And the idea is one enters into and through the gates of sweet nectar by offering one's heart and mind as a meal, so to speak, for people who are lost and afraid and hungry for something good, some connection. So the idea was that through this offering of our hearts, we create more interconnectedness with other beings. And we invite them for this meal. So he sent me eight lines and he said, could you do something with this? And I wrote him back and I said, like what? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, we Buddhists aren't that good with melody. Maybe you could uh, find a nice melody for this prayer and then the Zen peacemakers could sing it at their gatherings. So... Uh, I carried the eight lines around the world with me. I, and I said, well, when do you want it? And he said, well, the next meeting of the Zen Peacemakers is in 11 months. So I thought, 11 months, I ought to be able to come up with something. But 10 and a half months had gone by, and there was nothing. So uh, I wrote to Bernie, and I said, you know, uh, Bernie, could I mess with the words a little? Oh, I got a very Zen email back. Yes, mess. Actually, no yes, just mess. <laughs> so I rearranged the words a little bit, and actually a melody did show up. So I wrote to Bernie. I said, I got this melody now. He said, great, now you can start working on the rest of the prayer. And I said, how long is that? He said, like 40 pages. <laughs> I wrote to him. I said, Bernie, that's going to take three lifetimes. I got a one-word email back. Two. It was great. So here's that prayer that is called the Gates of Sweet Nectar. And the idea is that we, we offer our hearts, our enlightened hearts, our true nature, our being, to any beings who are lost and afraid, in what, any state of consciousness, any, any world. And this is what we aspire to, to be able to give ourselves fully. Now, I recognize that even though we aspire to be able to love everyone, like Maharaj used to say, it ain't that easy. And so, I thought that Hanuman Chalisa, singing the Hanuman Chalisa is a practice that removes the obstacles in our path, that cleans the mirror of our hearts, 
that gives us the strength to overcome our stuff and make the offering of ourselves to others. So I put them together. And first I'll sing the prayer, and then we'll sing Hanuman Chalisa together, and then a little Sri Ram Jaya. Shri Raghubir Harshir Lai, the 
Bhagupate Kimhi Bhagupate Kimhi Bhagupate Kimhi Bhagupate Kimhi Bhagupate Kimhi Bhagupate Kimhi Bhagupate Biko Bidakai Sake Kahante Mopakar Suri Wangina Rama Melaya Rajapadin Maro Mantra Bibishanoman Tangeshwarabhai Sapajakajan Gasahasrajo Januparaban Iliota Imadur Palajan Prabhu Mudrika Mele Mukamahi Chaladilangi Gaye Charajanahi Turakama Kaja Jakuta Kejete Sugama Anugaratumarete Ramaduare Tumarakovare Potana Agya Binupezare Subsuklahe Tumari Sharan Marachakahu Kodaran Apanateja Samaro Api Nino Lokahanka Tinkante Putta Pesashun Katanahe Ave Mahavir Jabanam Sunave Nasero Gahare Sabapir Japatanirantarahanumatavir Sankatate Anuman Churave, Manakrama Bachan Dhyana Jolave, Sabapara Ramata Pasaviraja, Inke Kaja Sakalatumasaja, Oramanorata Chokoelave, Sove Amitta Jirvana Palapa, Charo Yuga Paratapatuma. He perdesid jagata ujiyar Sadhu santa ke tumarakovari Asura nikandana ramadulai Eshtu siddhino nidhikedata Sabaradina janaki mata ramarasayana Tumare pasa sadaroho agupati kedasa Mare Bajana Rama Kopa Janama Janama Keduka Bissarao Anta Kala Ragubara Pura Jai Jahan Janama Hare Bhakta Kahai Or Devata Chitna Darei Anumata Sesaravasukakare Sankata Kate Mite Sabapira Josumere Hanumata Balabir JJ Hanuman Gosai Krapakuro Guru Devakinai Josatabara Pata Karakori Chutta Hibani Mahasukavoi Oya Pare Hanuman Chalisa Oya Sidnisaki Gardisa Tulasidas Sadahari Chera 
know anything about a path at all, if we know that there might be a way to live in this world in a good way, with an open heart and without fear, and maybe some peace of mind, if we know anything about this, it's only because of the great beings that have gone before us. Out of their love, out of their kindness. They left some footprints for us to follow. So, in the same way that they wish for us, in the same way that they wish for us, we wish that all beings everywhere, all of us, be safe, be happy, that all of us have enough to eat and good health. And may we all live in peace 
and that ease of heart, at ease of heart with whatever comes to us in life. Namaste. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.